At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We're glad you're here as we turn to the book of Genesis for our newest series, Family, Why Bother? In the pages of Genesis, we'll discover all kinds of hurting relationships that prove families have been dysfunctional from the very beginning. Join us as we uncover the only one who can renew and restore our broken families. You know, yesterday, I know Ben mentioned it already, but man, there were like 250 of us who went over to Simpson Park for spring serve. It was awesome. Just so you know, a real quick story, because this, this happened. Uh, I, I prayed right at the beginning because it wasn't raining, right? And so like, I was so thankful. And so I'm like, Lord, thank you for holding off the storms and you know, all this kind of stuff. And then we went and we got to work. And so everyone's all over Simpson Park serving all over the place. And then it got dark real fast, y'all. Like the sky turned black and the temperature dropped a lot. Like it got kind of chilly all of a sudden. And then it's not, you know, like sometimes it kind of drizzles first and gives you, no, no warning. It's like downpour. Like there it is. It's raining. So everyone is like splitting. Like we're all running to get undercover because it's lightning too. You can't just stay out there. So we're getting into shelter, you know, and this is happening. And we're there, and these little girls call me out. Like I walk around the corner and they're like, yeah, Pastor Billy, what happened to thank you, Lord, for holding off the storms? Like <laughs> he didn't hold them off very long, did he? Did he, Pastor Billy? He did <laughs> And then I heard the story of this, uh, you know, this little six-year-old, she was really concerned wanting, like, where's mom? And we're like, no, mom's fine. We're all still here. It's like, yeah, but I can't see mom. I'm really concerned. Where's mom? And she was really upset about it. And um, I I think Anna's 14. If she's 13, 14, she's somewhere in that range. Anyway, Anna was there. And of course, the adults start looking for mom and calling to different areas to figure out, okay, where's Whereas mom, meanwhile, Anna, this 13, 14-year-old, says, you know what? I just want to start to speak into you. And she started just reciting Joshua 1.9 over and over and over, which just is awesome. Because it says when we thought some a little bit as adults that because we put up our pitchforks or our shovels that now all of a sudden we got to hit pause on God being glorified. Sometimes it takes our, our kids and our, our students to remind us that, no, even in the storms, God is glorified. Amen. I mean, just so, so good. So parents, thank you for the work that you do. Those of you who work with our kids down in kids ministry, our, our student ministry, thank you. It's so incredible just to see the fruit in those places uh, of where the Lord is shining brightly and where his word is taking heart and our kids. Absolutely awesome. Just in case you're wondering, our next opportunity for a church-wide serve. Now, we do it within our life groups. We still have opportunities to serve, but as a church family, we're going to be gathering on July the 17th. That's going to be when McRest is going to be right here at our campus. We'll talk to you a lot more about that in this coming month. So we are starting a brand new sermon series today, and it got me thinking, like there are books and there are TV shows and there are movies that all start to hyperfixate on one particular theme. Like we see it again and again and again books. You can go all the way back to uh, books from way before you or I were ever alive, right? You can go way back in the day to some of those like Charles Dickens books or whatever. Or you can go to even sitcoms that before I was alive, maybe you were alive when Brady Bunch was out. But anyway... Brady Bunch, if you're, if you're one of those people that you don't know what that is, 
Brady Bunch is a story, these two families that come together, and I'm not going to sing the song, but just go with me here. There's these two families that come together, and just, I want to focus on one particular child, because quite a few episodes focus on Jan. Jan is this middle child, and why does she struggle as this middle child? Because life is always about Marsha, 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 right? And so she just can't handle it. So many episodes about that. Or fast forward to my day, to the 80s, you got like different strokes. It would always have these very special, and very special episodes, that's where a warning would pop up to moms and dads that, it's a sitcom. It's lighthearted. What you talking about, Willis, right? That's what's supposed to be. But all of a sudden, they're talking about kidnapping, or they're talking about eating disorders, or some other very, very heavy topics. And you can follow the sitcoms through the ages. You could look at Married with Children, or Family Matters, or Malcolm in the Middle, or even Disney films. If you looked at Beauty and the Beast, or if you looked at Little Mermaid, or if you looked at the Encanto movie, like whatever, there's this theme a family dysfunction that you see again and again and again through our books, through our TV shows, through our movies, this theme of family. Now, why would they do that? Why would they keep this theme going again and again and again? Here's why. Because you and I identify with it. Because we watch and we say, you know what? I understand what it is to have a family that's not absolutely picture perfect. I know what it is to have pain in my family. I know what it is to have hurt this in my family. I know what it is to have blessing in my family, right? I know what it is for that full spectrum of family to be family. So we are starting this brand new sermon series called Family, Why Bother? And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. Take your Bibles, open up to Genesis 1. Should not take long for you to get there. Genesis Chapter 1, we're going to walk through some of the major stories of our first families, not just Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, but we are also going to look at our first families of faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. We're going to look through some of these key stories, and today's big idea is going to be that God designed humanity for dignity. Let me say that again. God, in his perfection... Design humanity, you and I, for dignity. And so we're going to look at three ways that God does that today through Scripture. First, we're going to see that God decrees human dominion. Look down at verse 26. Skip down to verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock. And over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So our identity has been given by God and speaks to our relationship with God and with all of his creation. So what is that identity? Oh, that's what verse 26 is unpacking. Now, up to this point, God has created and he's created by speaking. Let there be light and there was light. Just like that. God speaks and it comes to be. Now, this verse 26 is at the sixth day, which means God has already created the sky and the land and the sea. He's created the birds and the fish and all the creeping things on the ground. He's already created that. And it's almost like if you've been reading through this, we expect Scripture to follow the same pattern that has followed up to this point, which means we're expecting a big breath. And there was morning and there was evening the sixth day. That's what we expect. That's not what we find. Instead, we see this big breath, and then God declares, let us make man in our 
image, after our likeness. This plurality here, our, is interesting. It follows the same pattern that we saw in the last sermon series with Isaiah 6, where it says, And God said, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Speaking of a triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. That's what's being spoken of here, but that's not even the big point. The big point is the declaration of the highlight of the relationship between God and us as his creation. It says here these two terms, image and likeness. I want to pick that apart just for a second. Image. This word image was big in Hebrew. It would have spoken of the gods of the ancient Near Eastern uh, religions where it would be the, the very likeness of God, of the gods that they would worship. Now, the best example that you would probably be familiar with, that I'm familiar with, would be Egypt. Right in Egypt, if you went to ancient Egypt, you would not see the image of God being talked about with, with a stonemason or with a carpenter or with someone who works down in the stables, right? That wouldn't have been the, no, that would have been set aside only for Pharaoh. Right? Pharaoh was the image of God on earth. He alone represented God. And so it would have been fighting words for Moses to write this and to say, you and I, regardless, are created in the image of God. Do you hear the mic drop of that statement? That all of humanity, every single one of us, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter your socioeconomic status, no matter your, your religious background, none of that matters. You and I are image bearers, imago Dei, created in the image of God. This is breathtaking. There is dignity in that statement, church. Absolute dignity. And then it says we're created in the likeness of God, which means in the way that we carry out the image. In the way that we carry out, how are we to carry it out? Well, the rest of verse 26 tells us. It says that God gave dominion. Do you see that? Dominion over everything he created. The fish, the birds, the livestock, all the creeping things. Quick admission here, when I read the word dominion, I say it like that in my head. I do. Every time Amy's been listening to me do it all week, dominion, dominion. When I hear dominion, I think like I mentioned Disney earlier, Beauty and the Beast, Gaston stomping around wearing boots like Gaston, right? I picture I, I beat my chest, dominion. And that's not really what the word means at all, right? It's not alluding to some kind of abusive or incredibly aggressive posture towards creation. That's not how we are to rule. We are to rule as ones who recognize that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It doesn't belong to us. Are you kidding me? The earth is not ours. It's his. We're stewards. We're managers over what God has given us. Not, over, not only over the earth as a resource, but after each other. We are stewards. We are managers of something that belongs to God. Why is this so difficult for us? Well, it's so difficult because we're pretty egocentric, aren't we? We end up thinking about ourselves. That's what happens in those sitcoms. And those sitcoms, it's always based around that one character and everything's about that character and they're going to be the hero or the villain of the story, but it's always about them. It's kind of like you guys know I have a couple dogs. I've talked about my dogs a lot. Some of you have been by now because I live three doors down, so I'm super close to the church. Many of you have actually stopped and you've met Sammy. 
my 62-pound man poodle. You've met him. And um, Sammy, Sammy's got this thing, like if you come over to the house, he's going to love you. Just so you know, you're going to be his best friend, his very best friend. He's going to love you, and he's going to come, and he's going to do the, the Sammy thing that he does, which is he leans. Like he, he leans all of him into you, which is a lot of poodle leaning into you, right? Because if you don't know him, you don't know how to tell him the N-O word. So you just kind of like pet him and you try to be nice. Don't be nice to him. Just tell him to sit and be good, you know, and he'll be good. He'll sit. He'll do what he, he's told to do. So that's Sammy. And so when it's just the two of us, you know, I just, I do that to his face and I flop his ears around, you know. It's just, it's not really just the two of us anymore because Sammy's a dad. And Ian, my oldest son, took home his pick of the litter and her name is Sable. Sable's a golden doodle. And so Sable is not as big. She's not near as big. She's about 20 pounds lighter than Sammy. She's almost a year old now. But she doesn't know she's not as big. So she just kind of goes flying around the house, this fluff ball, everywhere she goes. She's just like teeth and fur. That's all she is. And um, she does not have the same manners that Sammy has at all. And if she meets you, she's going to hate you, just so you know. She's going to bark at you because you're a stranger and she doesn't know you until you sit down and hang out for a while. And then all of a sudden, you're her best friend, too. That's what's going to happen. So anyway, when I'm petting Sammy, Sable has this thing that she does. You already know what she does. I'm petting Sammy. She's going to get her toy. You may not know this part. She gets her toy, and she makes a sound. She's I don't know what the... It's not really a growl. It, yeah, it's like a Chewbacca sound. That's what it is. It's totally a Chewbacca sound. She does this thing, and she has the toy in her mouth. And then she does this, her wag... And I'm doing this because she doesn't just wag her tail like a normal dog. It's her head. It's her body. She wags everything. And, and she places herself between me and Sammy. Almost like, oh, you meant to call me. I know you didn't do that. But you meant to. And you meant to love me because I'm the one who deserves to be loved here. Like, you, Sammy's not important. You want to love me. Here I am. You found me. Right? That's Sable. And that's us so oftentimes, isn't it? We kind of push ourselves into the story, whether it's really about us or not. Did you hear the very beginning of Scripture? It says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. This is his story, friends. It has always been his story. It will always be his story. This is about God. It is not about you, and it is not about me. Never has been and never will be. This is not about us. This is about God. Now, while that's true, you need to hear the other truth because sometimes we become pretty puffed up in our pride, don't we? Of thinking too highly of ourselves. You shouldn't think too lowly of yourself either. You're also not cosmic junk. That is not who you are. You're not some worm underneath God's boot. That is not who you are. You, my friend, were created with dignity. You were created in his image. Imago Dei, do you get that? You were created in the very image of God. You are loved and you are precious. That is who you are. And because of that, we're called to have dominion over the whole earth in his likeness. And in that kind of a posture, not in an aggressive posture, not in an abusive posture, not with each other, not with creation, which brings us to our next point that God designs human distinction. Look at verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, some of you are a little more artistic at heart. You'll want to write this down. Verse 27 is the very first poem in the Bible. 
It takes all the way to verse 27 before you see poetry infused. This is a, a chiastic structure. We're going to put it up on the screen so I can show you what I mean. Essentially what happens in a chiastic structure is the first word is going to become the last word of the next line. And the last word is going to become the first word of the next line. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. So you see that the first word becomes the last word. And then the last word becomes the first word. It's this crisscrossing pattern. Or in the original Hebrew, it would sound like this. All humans are made in God's image. In God's image, all human beings are made. Isn't that incredible? So you see this poetry going on. So our theology affirms, and there's really no debate here whatsoever, that every single human being is made in his image regardless. Every human has dignity. Everyone, every single one has dignity. And then the third line is going to speak of distinction. Look at this third line. He created them male and female. So within the unity that we have as people, within the dignity that we are to show each other, we see distinction here in the word of God. God who is all-powerful, God who is all-knowing, God who is everlasting, created. In fact, that's where the grammar emphasis is here. It says that he created them. God created them. How did he create them? He created them male and female. Now, real fast, time out. I just I want to acknowledge something. I don't live in a bubble, y'all. Like, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a real guy. And so I see what happens, and I, I read the news, and I know culturally what's going on with this, with this thought and with this statement. And even me reading this scripture, for some of you, it caused anxiety inside. I did, because you're thinking to yourself, I don't know where Pastor Billy's going to go with this. Like, what's, what's getting ready to happen? And so for some of you, there's confusion around this. For some of you, there's deep hurt. For some of you, you think of your own family, and you think of the turmoil that's caused from, from this verse. And so you wonder, how are we going to handle this? Well, we're going to handle this like we handle everything else, by going to God's word for our truth. And the truth is that every single one of us, listen, all of us, we are image bearers. Imago Dei, we are created in his image. But there is distinction, male and female, between us. That's what the word of God teaches. It's kind of like this. All illustrations break down, as does this one. But some of you, you love working outside in the flower bed. Like you love it. Like you really enjoy the flower bed and you know what you're doing. I don't. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, and I do it out of necessity, right? And so we had, like, 10 guys come over to the house last weekend, and they helped because our house is so overgrown. And so we had guys walking around saying, okay, this branch needs cut off, and that tree needs torn out, and that's what this tree is, and that's what that tree is. Because I'm looking going, it has bark. It's a tree. I don't know what I'm looking at. Like, I really don't know. And so we had individuals. Then we had individuals walking around looking at this stuff growing up and going, okay, this is going to be a rose, and that's going to be, I'm just making up flowers now. This is going to be a tulip, and that's going to be lavender, and that's an invasive species of a weed. You want to get rid of all these. These are horrible. Like, these are no good. And so we're walking around, and all of a sudden, I'm able to start to recognize, even though they all have leaves, the power and the beauty of this is in the distinction between them. God made two unique, 
distinct genders, male and female. Equal. Equal. Equal in how they're loved by God. Equal in how we both have distinction and dignity from God. We all have the same dignity. Every single one of us. And yet there's beauty and there's power in our uniqueness. That's what we see through the word. Now, I just, I do want to say that um, in that distinction, it's important to point out that we affirm and we honor the Lord in, in his ways. But we don't do that by villainizing others. We don't do it by villainizing people who have followed the ways of culture. We don't do it by villainizing people in your family who think differently than you do. We do that by upholding the order and the dignity of his creation. I believe when we do this correctly, it doesn't come across as mean-spirited. That when we do this correctly, it doesn't come across as unloving. God created male and female, and then he declared what? He declared it's very good. That's what God declared. It is very good. God, the creator of the universe, made human beings by his design, in his image, in his likeness, with incredible dignity, but with distinction. Which brings us to our last point, that God directs human duty. Look at verse 28. It says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So this is known as the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate is to create and to cultivate. Not only are human beings made in God's image, not only are, are we made to have dominion over the earth, but we are made to to fill the earth and to subdue the earth. Now, what does subdue mean? Because again, you start to think like beat your chest and wear boots like Gaston, but that's not what it's saying. If you go to chapter 2, verse 15, you see what that looks like. Adam is given work, and the work is to care for, to create, to cultivate within the garden, to use his ingenuity, to use his technology in the garden. Friends, we still get to do that. That is still what we do here on this planet. You probably don't think about it that way, but that is what we do. You get to use your technology. You get to use your ingenuity. You get to use your creativity to continue to care for what God has created. That's going to be in human form. That's going to be in plant form, animal, bird, fish, geology. We have this incredible task. In verses 29 through 30, we see the provision of God being affirmed in the supply of food. Jesus continues this thought as he taught us how to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. And then in verse 31, we see that God viewed all that he had created and declared it is very, very good. So we should be intentional. 
with whatever it is you do, we should be intentional with using our gifts and our talents, our passions and our burdens to continue to cultivate as the Lord called us to do. Some of you are entertainers or singers or public speakers. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are parents. Some of you are engineers or scientists or medical professionals. Whatever it is you do, we get to continue to be part of what the Lord has called us to. Isn't that beautiful, that picture of what God created? I think the thing is, that picture that we see, that's not oftentimes what you and I see, is it? We see, we look in the garden, and Billy, you better dig that out fast because it's invasive. It's going to take over your whole garden. You've got to dig all of these out. This is a horrible thing. You don't want this in your garden. That's what we see. We see all the branches all over the ground because that tree isn't perfectly healthy and things are breaking off and falling all over the place. That's what we see. We see relationships with incredible tension where we can't have conversations anymore without feelings getting hurt to the point that I may never talk to you again. That's what we see. We see our bodies that break down and we go to the doctors and the doctors give us news that that we don't want to hear even before the service. We're talking about sugar levels out in the hallway, right? This is what we see. We see the reality, the brokenness around us. So before I make this next statement, I want to make crystal clear. I'm not talking about politicians. I'm not talking about professors that you don't know the name of. I'm not talking about that news station where you do know the personalities on that news station. You just don't like any of them. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about us. God created us in such a perfect way and gave us an incredible dignity by being created in his likeness. And we have vandalized that. The Bible says that all have sinned. You have sinned. And I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And it's so easy to point fingers and to say, look how broken our world is out there. And this is not about out there. This is right here. This is about my heart. And this is about your heart. And this is who we are as his created We have vandalized the perfect picture that he gave us. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. Church, it's it's forever separation from a holy God. That's the wages of sin. That's what you and I have earned. And here is the most incredible news the world has ever received. That even while we were sinners, Christ came and he died for us. That's the love of our heavenly father. That even in that place where we're still sinners, Christ came and he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus lived a perfect life. He became completely human. He came to this earth as an infant, as a baby. He became this this man who knew no sin. Never one time did he sin. And when he went to the cross, it was to pay for the sins of the entire world, to pay for your sin and my sin, so that we may once again have a right standing with God so that you and I could be sons and daughters of the Most High. How incredible is that? And it's our faith in Christ, and only our faith in Christ, that gives us a right standing with God. It's not by what you do. It's not how good you are. That's not what gives you a right standing with God. It's how good he is. That's what gives you the right standing with God. And see, the problem is, though, like I said, too often times we do, don't we? we? We get this, I'm trying harder, I'm trying better, so we get kind of puffed up a little bit, right? 
oh, I'm good because look how good I'm doing. Look at the education I have. Look at what I can do with my hands. Look at what I built. Look at my friends. Look at, we, we can get way up here or we can get way too low in how we're viewing ourselves. That's oftentimes what happens. One of the two extremes, instead of this healthy place in the middle of, I know who I am because I know who he is. So last weekend was the annual celebration, which was awesome. It was so good. And uh, Pastor Chris kept talking about who's your one, right? Who's your one that you're intentionally sharing the gospel with? Who's your one? And he told this story of Rory. And before we play the video of Rory, um, I just want to tell you, I, I want to play it. And the reason I want to play it is because I think it's a story that all of us will identify with, every single one of us, of what it is to be lost and then what it is to be found. Watch Rory's story. I grew up a gymnast. I started gymnastics when I was two years old. When I was 15, I actually got hurt really bad. I had a concussion and I had some construction issues because I knocked out teeth. <laughs> Having gone through that, I did not want to return to the sport. I was super terrified and that kind of was the end of it for me. So when I quit, it was almost like a very now what moment for me. This was my entire life. This was my entire identity. As many people know, gymnastics does stunt your growth. So immediately after I quit, it was all of these different things at once. It was growing pains. It was puberty, all of these things, a changing body that I was just not prepared for. It developed into an eating disorder. That eating disorder then became my new identity. My freshman year of college was probably when my eating disorder was at its worst. I had a heart rate that was so low that it could have stopped at any given moment. I truly just wanted to be seen and adored. Um, a guy messaged me on an app and he never really tried to get to know me, um, but I did try super hard to get him to see my value and tried really hard to just be seen by him. He invited me out with him and his friends. So I went out to this restaurant and then out of nowhere just disappears. And I'm kind of just like, where'd you go? And I was sitting at a table by myself and this cute little blonde girl comes up to me. I had just noticed her and I was like, oh, that's not fun. Like, I'm sure she would, doesn't want to be sitting alone. So I went over and talked to her and I was like, hi, I'm Hannah, what's your name? Right away I'd asked her, I was like, oh, like, do you go to church or anything? And she had said no. And I was like, oh, well, I go to um, a young adult ministry in Troy that's called Collective and it's super good. You should come with me sometime. And I did. I showed up that Sunday and she waited for me outside and <laughs> led me inside, introduced me to all of her friends. And so I started hanging out with her more and we hung out one-on-one -on -one, and me still not knowing why she came up to me, I'm hanging out with this girl who might as well be a stranger. But I did, I looked at her, I was like, so it's a little weird that you came up to me and asked to go to church with you. I was like, why did you come up to me? She said to me, because you were there with a guy and I could tell that you were looking for value in him and he wasn't seeing how valuable you were. 
And nobody's ever said anything like that to me. And I was like, okay, so why, why offer me an invitation to church? And she was like, because you should find your value in Jesus Christ. I know what a great and fruitful life it is to have Jesus as my identity, and I wanted to share that with her. That one small step in obedience and abiding in his will led to her salvation. It was like this feeling of, wow, there are people out there that value me, and they're God's people. She helped me out of that situation and led me down a path that I truly never really saw for myself. Like even only knowing Jesus, truly knowing him for such a short period of time, it's crazy the impact that it has had and like the change and the growth that I've made in such little time. So for those of you who are Christians, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I have a question for you is, is your heart prepared and set up for, Lord, I see people the way that you do? I see people the way that you do. I, I see the dignity that's in that person. I, I don't see the, them as their struggle. I don't see them as their hurt. I see the reality of who they are. Imago Dei, individuals who are created in your image. Is that, is that what you see? Or do we only see the surface of what they're trying to put on, the mask of what they're putting on? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, what is it that's keeping you from placing your faith and your hope in Christ as Lord and Savior? Is it pride? I don't want to have to need anybody. I don't want that feeling that Rory had of feeling like maybe I'm going to trust and then I'm going to be all alone because he's just going to, he's going to ghost me. And I'm going to be all of a sudden looking around going, where'd the Lord go? And I, I just don't know if I can take that or not. Is, is that what it is? Is it fear? What's keeping you from the Lord? Because you know what the Bible says? It says that he will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Yeah, this story is about God. It is about his glory. It is about a God who loves you so much that he came to this earth and did the unthinkable for our forgiveness. Isn't that incredible? So today, why don't you surrender your life to Christ? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've given us the ministry of reconciliation. God, not to go through this life as people who are so prideful because we've been rescued, but Lord, people who understand the salvation that only comes through Christ Jesus, our Lord. What an incredible, humble place to be. So Lord, for my brothers and sisters in this room, will you give us eyes to see? Maybe it's with our family members that we've grown impatient with. And we become so frustrated because they're chasing after what a news station says or, or what a college professor said or what culture says. And, and we find ourselves just so frustrated and angry about it. Lord, maybe it's the neighbor across the street. Maybe it's someone we work with. Help us to see our one. Lord, you've called us to this ministry of reconciliation. You've called us to this mission to go and make disciples. Not projects, but disciples. 
Lord, let us love because you first loved us. I pray for the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we don't try to speak with our own knowledge or our own strength. But we're able to hear and discern when to speak and when to stay silent. And when we speak, Lord, let it be with love. Let it be with compassion. Let it be with dignity to image bearers of God. And Lord, to anyone in this room who maybe they've never surrendered to Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray that today they're able to receive the free gift of salvation. That they're able to realize that it's not deeds, it's not works that we're saved, but it's only through faith in Christ our Lord. So Lord, I pray for a place of surrender this morning, for a place place of rebirth and new life. And we pray that in these places, you receive all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. As always, our prayer team will be available after the service. They'll be right down here and would love just to pray over you and those things going on in your life. Let's stand as we close our morning worshiping together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.